0: Looking at the first 14 verses of chapter 29. Uh, Jacob's education in God's school of faith was extended now to a third house. His first house of education had been in his father's house, in Isaac's house, in Beersheba. His second school of education had been in God's house at Bethel. And now with chapter 29, he entered into the third and the most testing stage of his education in Laban's house in Haran. Now that, you cannot believe this, I'm sure, but that is our introduction. (laughs) Short introduction this morning. We're not going to do a lot of reviewing. We're just going to get right on into our lesson, verses 1 to 14 of chapter 29. Uh, We only have three simple outline divisions, and you can see them up here. They have to do with people who Jacob first encountered when he arrived finally at his destination in Padan Aram. So the subtitles for these three divisions are Jacob meets some shepherds, verses 1 to 8, Jacob meets Rachel, verses 9 to 12, and Jacob meets Laban, verses 13 to 14. This was such an easy one for me to outline. So let's look first of all at verses 1 to 8, Jacob meets some shepherds. I'll read those verses for you, starting at verse 1 of chapter 29. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And, lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in his place. I think that's interesting that the stone was a his, (laughs) was a he. (laughs) And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? Or in other words, where are you from? And they said, Of Haran are we. And he said unto them, Know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel his daughter cometh with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day. Neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water ye the sheep, and go and feed them and they said we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together until they roll the stone from the well's mouth then we water the sheep well after Jacob's invigorating experience at Bethel where God had spoken to him in a what a dream Jacob still had a long way to travel before reaching his destination up in northern Mesopotamia, an area called Padan Aram. At Bethel, where he had been um, and had the dream, he had only really been about one-tenth of his journey. So he still had about 450 miles to travel until he got to Haran. He would have to travel, as you can see on this map, have to travel northward up into Syria and then move eastward across the Euphrates River, which I've highlighted there in red so you can see it, and go into the land of the people of the east, as it says here in verse 1. Now, even though Haran of Padanaram was more north, right? You can see that on the map, more north than it was east from where he was originally down here. Yet, um, the scripture refers to it as the east because from Canaan, anything on the other side of the great Euphrates River was called the east. So Jacob had a long trip before him after his dream there in Beersheba. But he had a lighter step to his walk, a much lighter step than he had had before Bethel. And the reason I say that is because the original Hebrew in verse 1 for where it says uh, then Jacob went on his journey the original Hebrew literally means that he lifted up his feet now this is the only time that we find this particular Hebrew expression in all of the Bible so it's a little difficult to be dogmatic about exactly what it means but it probably means that he had a lighter walk to his uh, whole person you know, after after his first personal revelation from God, which is what he had had in the dream, that previous heaviness in his walk was lifted. God, in that dream, had assured Jacob of the Abrahamic blessing, you know, that it would be passed on to him. And he had promised to be with Jacob and to protect Jacob. Jacob and to provide for him and even he promised to to return him safely to Canaan and even if Jacob's vow of verses 20 to 22 you know which we looked at in detail last time even if that vow was a matter of him having bargained with God in order to make sure that God did keep his promises even if it was a you know a bad a not so good vow still Jacob had far more more hope After Bethel than he had had before Bethel remember how he went into Bethel I mean he was a discouraged frightened um, distressed person and so now the lightness of his feet here seems to suggest to us that he almost now was looking forward to the adventures that were awaiting him at the end of his journey perhaps anticipating his um, forthcoming meeting with his mother's family who he'd never met before, so that would be kind of exciting to meet his mother's brother and all of his other relatives, and what would be even more exciting? (laughs) Right, the possibility of even meeting his um, future wife. So he lifted up his feet, and he set out for the remainder of his journey. Now, nothing further is said about Jacob's journey, you notice, until he gets to right outside of Haran Bethel was the only part therefore of his whole trip you know from his father's house in Beersheba all the way up to Haran the only thing that's written about recorded for our benefit is what happened there in Bethel, his one night in Bethel where he had the dream of the latter apparently nothing else of much significance happened the whole rest of the way you know the whole other 500 miles, it's about 500 miles from Beersheba to Haran about three weeks probably took him about three weeks now John Butler in his commentary points out that this this uh, fact that he had this long and uneventful journey that nothing is recorded that this is really a good description of the journey of life you know most of our lives are spent in the realm of the the routine you know the daily routine most of our lives are spent kind of just going along in the ordinary. The mundane, you might even want to call it. There are only a few mountaintop experiences such as Bethel. But the rest of the journey is rather common. You know, you wake up, oh hum, another day. <laughs> Same old thing. But you never know. Of course, we should wake up and say, praise the Lord for another day of life. However, as, um, as Mr. Butler in his book reminds us, he says this, Listen to this quote. He says, If we are to accomplish much in life, we will have to perform well in the routine and in the ordinary and in the common. Jacob got to Haran because he faithfully pursued his task through the many long hours and days of uneventful and monotonous travel. You know, like if you want to get somewhere, you have to drive there, right? Well, he didn't even have a car. He had to either walk or ride a donkey or a camel. Or, can you imagine how monotonous that was? I mean, he couldn't even stop at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> uh, he says, we do not need every day to be a sensational, spectacular, and an unusual day in order to do great things for God. We simply need to persevere and be faithful in the ordinary, and we will do much for God's work. He says, if you fail in the mundane, or I put up here, if you fail in the minor, you will fail in the major, or you will fail in the mighty. If you cannot do well in the common, you will not do well in the special. And that's very, very true, is it not? In the next verses of our text, we find that God had truly been directing Jacob's steps. I mean, even though he might not have known it, God was directing his steps. Even though those steps uh, might have seemed to him mundane, and they might have seemed rather ordinary and monotonous, yet God was providentially leading him. Was he not? You see, our part, just like Jacob's, our part is to keep on putting one foot in front of the other, right? one foot in front of the other no matter how hard it might seem on some days we just need to keep on keeping on no matter how monotonous that might seem to get if we are God's child then we can rest assured that he is guiding our steps and he is guiding our steps to places and to people where he is going to providentially use us and mold us and make us more into the image of His Son, even in the midst of what what might appear to be an empty field, which is what He came to—a well in the field. And the word "field" speaks of open countryside. So, even in uh, you know, even in the midst of what might appear to be just nothing spectacular, just an empty field, there may be a well of opportunity and blessing. So, therefore, we. Just like Jacob, we must always be looking expectantly for the places and the people and the opportunities to which God brings us. You know, divine providence, the fact that God is sovereign, that God is leading, he is orchestrating everything. um, That still doesn't mean we sit back, kick up our heels and say, well, God's in control and he's going to do whatever. Divine providence does not does not excuse us from human responsibility. I mean, there we still have to do our part just like Jacob had to keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's not divine providence and God's sovereignty that he's in control is not an excuse for our laziness, is it? Rather, it's a reason for us to be constantly on the alert, on the lookout for those God-given opportunities Um, that he will give to us as we faithfully plod on our way. Jacob, we notice in uh, verse 2, was on the lookout as he traveled. And therefore, he did not miss the well experience that he came to. He didn't miss his well opportunity to which God led him. Notice three times in verse 2, we find reference to what Jacob beheld. You know, the words looked and behold and even the little word low, all three of those words refer to what he noticed with his eyes. He was in the right place at the right time, as we're going to soon see. But, you know, you can be in the right place at the right time, but if you're not alert, you might miss it. You might blow it. He had to be on the alert to realize that he was in the right place at the right time, or he could have walked right on past that moment of divine providence. So Jacob saw what? What did he see? A a well. And it was covered by a great stone. I I was telling my husband the other day that certainly a lot of stones in this this story. I mean, we had a stone for a pillow, then we had a stone for a pillar, and now we have a, a great stone covering this well. So I guess it was really stony you know, that whole area of the Middle East is pretty rocky. Anyway, it was covered by a great stone, and this well was surrounded by three flocks of sheep. There's a, an amazing number of threes in this whole story. Um, I just kept, Every time I turned around, there was another set of threes, and I don't know what that might mean, but it's interesting anyway. But there were three flocks of sheep lying near the well. Now, although there is no mention of the shepherds who tended to the sheep, Jacob obviously also saw them because he spoke to them. We'll see that he speaks to them in verses 4 to 8. So they were there too, even though they're not mentioned right away. Now in verse 3, Moses, who of course is the human author of this account, Moses explains for our benefit that the flocks were gathered at the well to be watered, of course, and when all of the flocks in that that rural area, when all of the various flocks which, which used that particular well, when they all arrived and gathered at the well to be watered, then the heavy stone that was covering the well's mouth was rolled away. Large, generally flat stones, probably larger than that one you see in that picture, but large, flat stones were often used as well coverings. They may even still be today. I wouldn't be surprised if they are. Not only did that stone prevent, you know, dirt and dust and small creatures from falling into the well. Of course, I always think of a small child, too, but maybe the children knew better. But it would prevent those kind of things from falling into the water supply and contaminating it. But it would also ensure against theft. Because of the weight of the stone, it would generally take more than one shepherd to roll it away from the well's mouth. So it was, you know, a heavy, heavy stone. Anyway, the flocks of the local ranchers would gather around the well until all were present, and then several of the shepherds would join their strength to help roll the stone away. And then probably in the order in which they had arrived at the well, you know, first-come, first-served basis, the shepherds would water their flocks. And then after all the flocks had been watered, gotten their water, then they would put the stone back in place. Well, Jacob, who apparently knew he was getting close to his final destination, he knew that he was getting close to Haran, he spoke to the shepherds who were gathered at the well. And those shepherds, unlike these pictures I am showing you, so try to get this out of your mind, but most likely the shepherds were very young lads, young boys. Because this would explain to us much better why it took several of them at least to lift the stone. When Jacob, we're going to see, Jacob is able to lift the stone all by himself. So Jacob greeted the shepherd lads. I'm going to say that they were young boys. He um, greeted them with a question. He said, My brethren, whence be ye? Now we can be sure that these shepherds, especially if they were young boys were somewhat suspiciously watching this stranger approach. You know, Jacob, remember, was a grown man. And he was obviously very strong. We see that when he removes the heavy stone all by himself. And he had been traveling for some three weeks in the rugged outdoors, and we learned that he didn't stay in towns and cities along the way. So he probably looked pretty rugged himself, don't you think? Uh So the young boys may have been a little bit worried about this guy who comes out of nowhere, you know, and approaches them. So he probably spoke in a polite way, a soft, perhaps polite way, so as not to frighten them. And we notice he used the term, my brethren, in order to let them know, you know, that he was coming in peace. Now, the first thing that Jacob wanted to know about the shepherds was where they were from. And you can understand why. You know, he wants to know, am I getting really close to my destination? And their answer of Haran, are we, let him immediately know that at long last he had arrived at the outskirts of the home of his Mesopotamian relatives. By the way, in case you didn't know this or forgot about it, Haran was not only the home of his mother's family, his mother, Rebecca was the home of his mother's family, but it was the home of some of his father's family as well. Remember now, Jacob's parents. Who were Jacob's parents? Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah are second cousins. Okay? Now, since Laban and Rebekah were brother and sister, this means that Laban was also Isaac's second cousin because if Isaac and Rebekah are second cousins then Isaac and her brother are also second cousins I mean that only makes sense right so they Isaac and Laban are not only second cousins but Laban is Isaac's brother-in-law all right now if you remember Jacob's grandfather Abraham and Laban's grandfather, Nahor, we see his name in this script that we just read, the um, passage. Abraham and Nahor had been brothers. And it can get pretty complicated, I found out, to figure all this out. But, but the, you don't have to worry about it. But the, the uh, small and the short of it is that all this means that Jacob and Rachel... Rachel is his few, one of his future wives. Jacob and Rachel, and for that matter, Jacob and Leah, because Leah and Rachel are sisters, but they are first cousins. So he's about to meet his first cousin on his maternal side, okay? So from his mother, Rebecca, he and Rachel and Leah are first cousins. Their second cousins, once removed, on Jacob's paternal side, you know, from Isaac's side of the family. And that gets really complicated. But anyway, they're related. <laughs> now, since Jacob had relatives, therefore, on both sides of his family, his mother's side and his father's side, living in Haran, it was very possible that the shepherds were indeed his brethren <laughs> of one sort or another. So he may have said it. (laughs) They were all kind of interrelated. But uh, they might have really been family, probably were. Anyway, the next thing that Jacob desired to learn from the shepherds was if they knew who? Laban. If they knew Laban. Laban, of course, was the head of the home to which he was uh, hoping to not only find a wife, but also to find a place of refuge. We can assume that by now Laban and Rebekah's Rebecca's parents are dead, because this, this, it's been a long time since we saw them. Bethuel, remember him? He was the father of Rebekah. Well, he is long gone, so um, Laban is the head of the home. So uh, Jacob wanted to know, did these young shepherd boys know him? And their answer, again, if you notice, is very blunt and rather unfriendly. Yet they confirmed that they knew him. It appears from the shortness of their answers to Jacob that they were either very suspicious of him, which we can understand—they didn't know who he was—and he looked probably looked pretty rough, um, or they were not very interested in him. One, one or the other. But their, you know, their answers are very short and curt and not too friendly. But either way, they answered him with just you know as few words as they possibly could. Well, he had yet one more question for them, and. Again, notice the threes, three questions and three answers. One more question, and it was extremely important for him to know the answer to this question. Now think about this. It had been almost 100 years. Actually, it was 97 years since his mother, Rebecca had seen her brother, Laban. So Jacob needed to know if his uncle, his old uncle, Laban, was well. I mean, chances were he, he might not be. Uh, but the word, he also, you know, not only his, his health, but he needed to know if he was well in other ways as well. <laughs> because the word he used for well when he said, is he well, is the Hebrew word shalom. You've all heard that. You know, that's what they say when they greet one another. So what he's really asking here is more than just about Laban's physical condition. He wants to know that, of course, but he also wants to know about his condition in general. You know, was Laban's situation there in Haran one of peace? Because that's what shalom means, peace. Were things well? Were things at peace with Laban and his family? After traveling some 500 miles, it was very important for Jacob to know the situation into which he was entering. If Laban was either dead or very, very sick, then everything might be quite different for Jacob. I mean, only Laban really was left of all those close relatives who had known his mother, Rebekah. Some other distant relative might not care who Jacob was or desire to receive him, you know, into their home, take him in, or even believe that he was who he said he was. He could be an imposter for all they knew so it was important to know if Laban was well not only physically but in other areas as well for example what if he wasn't what if Laban wasn't doing well financially then he probably wouldn't be too anxious to take in a poor and destitute relative because uh, Jacob we find out had hardly anything with him he was very poor at this point in time so the answer that Jacob received from these shepherd lads, which again, if you notice, was very short and to the point, he is well, that had to have been good news, very exciting news for Jacob to hear. Then, however, something interesting happens. The shepherds now offer Jacob some information on their own without him, you know, having to ask a question first. And... Uh, we might wonder if Jacob wasn't getting ready to ask his next question before they offered this free information. I thought about if he was going to ask another question, it might have been something like, hey guys, does Laban happen to have any pretty eligible daughters? (laughs) But before he could ask his next question, whatever it might have been, The shepherds, you know, probably, as in this picture, probably uh, pointing off in the distance somewhere, in a a certain direction, said, Behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh with the sheep. We see that at the end of verse 6. It's almost as though we can hear them saying, you know, between the lines, Hey, guy, now you can go and pester her because she's Laban's daughter and you can, you know, you can leave us alone. They weren't really very friendly. Now, it's impossible to not notice some distinct similarities between Jacob's well, ex- well experience here in this chapter and the one which took place some 97 years earlier, back in Genesis chapter 24. And um, I, I wanted to just interject this for some of you who are new, and you worked with us last year when we studied chapter 24 and the well experience of Eliezer and how he met Rebecca and brought her back to be a wife for Isaac. Uh, we have the tapes. I know you might be in left field when I do some of this, um, comparison and stuff and, you, and it'll be hard for you to follow but we have the tapes on that chapter and it's a beautiful love story and if you miss that I really really strongly recommend that you either you know get the tapes and listen to it or get last year's we're not selling enough of these so I need to put in a little advertisement here. I ordered 250 of these because last year everybody raised their hand and said they wanted one and, and now now not everybody is buying one but these are all of last year's notes. So, for example, let's say you're brand new and you missed last year, and I have a question here, and it's just really baffling you because it refers to something in Chapter 24 or in one of the other. You can just look it up and read it on your own, and you'll know right where we are and what we're talking about. This will really help you tremendously. Last year, none of you got notes, so these are the notes that you missed, and the added bonus is that the homework answer sheets are in there as well at the back. So that's $10. That's our cost. Our cost was actually $10.15. So you're getting a real bargain at $10. Anyway, I do um, highly recommend that if you miss chapter 24, one way or another, by tapes or by book, you study it. Well, let's compare those two well experiences of chapter 24 and chapter 29. Shortly after Eliezer had come to a well, Eliezer, remember, was Abraham's faithful old servant. He had come to a well right outside of Haran. And you know what? It could have been the very same well. Could have been. I don't know. Possibly the very same well that we see here in chapter 29. But when he had gotten to the well, Rebecca, shortly after he got there, Rebecca had arrived on the scene. And she, of course, became Isaac's wife. Now, likewise, we find that shortly after Jacob arrived at a well right outside of Haran, Rachel, his, or one of his future wives, came on the scene. So there's a similarity there, okay? Also, we find between Rebecca and Rachel. Now, remember, this is aunt and niece. Rebecca and Rachel are aunt and niece, both niece. Both women are very hard workers. Both women, we find out, were beautiful. Both of their lives were changed as a result of their well experiences. Both of them, we discover, leave or left Haran. One left right away. The other one delayed, you know, her her departure was delayed by 20 years, but both of them eventually left Haran and also left Laban. And both of them remained barren for many years after they were married. You know, Rachel had a problem getting pregnant just as her aunt rebecca had had a problem getting pregnant but when god finally opened their wombs both women gave birth to how many sons two rebecca had twin sons esau and jacob rachel had two sons not twins but uh, two sons nonetheless joseph and benjamin Well, as there are similarities between these two well experiences of chapter 24 and chapter 29, there are also some distinct differences. When Rebecca, in chapter 24, when she arrived at the well, her words and her actions readily became a very obvious and uh, gracious answer to a very specific prayer. Eliezer, Abraham's servant, had requested that, you know, God specifically lead him to the right woman for Isaac, his master's son. And he had, you know, remember he had specifically said, not only will she offer me water, but she'll also volunteer to water all ten of my camels. That was just unheard of, but she was an industrious go-getter. I mean, she was something else. She was like that woman who just lifted up the sofa with her, you know, vacuuming. (laughs) That was Rebecca. (laughs) And uh, she watered all ten of the uh, camels. So she was a definite answer to prayer, wasn't she? Rebecca was. However, as far as the written record is concerned, there is no indication that Jacob prayed to the Lord about who to know to marry. I don't know if I said that right. But he didn't pray that the Lord would um, guide him to the woman who was to be his wife by some specific way. And we certainly know that he had to have known how his mother and father got together. I mean, I'm sure they enjoyed telling that story to everybody. But he, Jacob, may not wanted, may not have wanted to engage in, in quite such a deal with God. Now you have to remember Jacob's character. He's a bargainer. He's a wheeler dealer. You know, he's a manipulator. What if he prayed to God to let, you know, his future wife be the first girl who came out to the well and the one who came out to the well was ugly? (laughs) Or what if God had chosen a wife for him who had weak eyes? He was not quite ready to make such an obligation, you know, to the Lord. He had already probably decided that he would rather take his own pick than to leave things up to God. He may not like, you know, who God chose for him. So Jacob was not going to make any kind of a deal when he was not sure he would get what he wanted even if that deal was by way of a prayer request to God. Think about that. That's interesting. I've been doing a lot of thinking about Rachel and Leah, and I think it's going to really be interesting when we get into that. You know, who really was the one that God wanted for Jacob? Well, another contrast with the well scene of Genesis 24 and that of chapter 29 is that Jacob arrived outside of Haran alone right? Nobody with him. He had no bride price, not, you know, a, a, an entourage of camels and men servants as, and gold and silver and, and, and lots of jewelry as had been the situation with Abraham's servant. Also different, as we shall see, was that the fact that Rebekah watered Eliezer's camels, while Jacob in our present episode was the one who did the watering right like mother like son <laughs> he's the one who took the initiative and um, rolled away the stone and watered rachel's sheep so he truly was his mother's son no wonder she liked him the best you know favored him because uh, he was he was just like she had been he was very and we're going to see more of that in his character in this lesson than we have in the past but he was very determinative He knew what he wanted, and he went for it, just like she did. And uh, he was very industrious. He was very um, hardworking, just like his mother had been. And both of them were headstrong. Both of them were also, you know, wheeler dealers, bargainers. And we see that was a trait in the family because Laban is just like that as well. So hearing the news that the flock of sheep off in the distance headed their way was led by Laban's own daughter, Rachel, that must have really activated Jacob's adrenaline. He was about to have an encounter with his first out-of-town relative, and that person was a female. Furthermore, who was she? She was Laban's daughter. Now the shepherd boys, notice said nothing about her also being so, so-and-so's wife. They just said, there's Rachel Laban's daughter. They didn't say, and, you know, Joe's wife. If she had been married, it's very unlikely that she would have been a shepherdess. She would have been home, you know, fixing... Um, Fixing dinner, fixing lunch for her husband, or taking care of her babies. A girl who, who would take care of sheep all day long was more than likely not married. And this meant what? All right, think of it. <laughs> she's Laban's daughter, so she's in the right family, and she's single. And she's obviously a hard worker, so she was eligible wife material for Jacob himself so with quick thinking Jacob turned his eyes from this approaching shepherdess he turned his eyes from the approaching shepherdess Rachel and her flock and he again addressed the shepherds to whom he had been speaking now it appears that he was suddenly anxious to get them gone get them out of there so that he could be alone with Rachel Since he first saw their flocks, you remember there's three flocks, and they're lying around the well. Ever since seeing that, something had been bothering him, had been bothering Jacob. Why were these guys, these young shepherd boys, why were they lying around the well in the middle of the day? I mean, that bothered him. Why were they wasting daylight grazing time for their flocks? Why were they, you know, just wasting time sitting around the well when they could just go ahead and remove the stone, water their flocks, and get on their way and let those sheep feed out in the pastures while it was still daylight? You see, Jacob was very knowledgeable in the area of shepherding both his father and his grandfather had been ranchers with, you know, with tremendous flocks and herds, and he would have learned all about shepherding just from the daily conversation around him, even if he had never been a shepherd himself. Um, And his experience in the next chapters actually indicates that he had indeed learned a whole lot about shepherding. Furthermore, he was a hard worker. And he could not understand why anyone would lie around when there was work to be done. The shepherds now, this is the, the most we hear from them. They finally really start to speak because uh, he had just questioned their shepherding techniques. And so, and also we find out that they were probably curious. They, they weren't too anxious to get out of there. He wanted them to roll a stone away, water their flocks, and get out of there <laughs> quickly so he could be alone with Rachel. But they are now curious To see how the meeting between Jacob and Rachel was going to go because obviously there was some connection between them or else this stranger wouldn't have been asking about her father. You see, they still don't know that he's related, but they figure there's got to be something here. And so they're not too anxious to leave. So not only did they answer him in order to explain their watering techniques, but they seemingly had no intention of leaving before they could witness this meeting between Jacob and Rachel. So what do they do? Anyway, they explained to Jacob that they could not uh, water their flocks until all of the various shepherds who used that well had arrived. And then they would together remove the stone uh, from the mouth of the well, and then they would water their sheep. And then probably in the order in which they had arrived at the well, uh, they would water their sheep. You know, first come, first serve. No reason is really given for why it was done this way. It was probably just an unwritten law of the land there, you know, to guarantee that um, there was even distribution of the water. If everybody gets there at the same time, then they can all watch one another and make sure nobody gets more than their fair share. And again, as I said before, this would um, help uh, against theft, You know, the fact that the stone was so heavy, normally one person wouldn't go over there and lift it and do all that just to steal some water. And it also um, would be less of an opportunity. Every time they lifted that stone off, some dust and dirt would fall in there. So it was less of an opportunity for debris to fall into the well and contaminate the water. Anyway, Jacob's conversation with the shepherds was unsuccessful in getting them uh, to be preoccupied with the heavy stone and with watering their flocks, so that he could talk privately with Rachel. In fact, we're told that he was still talking with them when what happened. Right, she approached, it says, with her father's sheep. So our attention is now drawn from Jacob's meeting with the shepherds of Haran to his meeting with, with Rachel so let's look at verses 9 to 12 Jacob meets Rachel it says and while he yet spake with them Rachel came with her father's sheep for she kept them and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban his mother's brother and the sheep of Laban his mother's brother notice how many times it says his mother's brother mother 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 mothers all over verse 10 three times Um, Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother, actually father's nephew, but here it's just talking about that he's related And that he was Rebecca's son. So you see, he's related on both sides of the family. And what does she do? She ran and told her father. Well, it was not a common thing for young women to keep flocks of sheep. This was generally only done in cases where a man did not have enough sons to watch his flocks, or else his sons were too young. And so older daughters in the family had to do the job until those young sons were capable. Or young girls were shepherdesses when a man had so many flocks that he had to use his sons and his daughters in order to watch over them if he couldn't afford servants. At any rate, it wasn't the normal practice for girls to be keepers of sheep. Now we know that Laban did have sons. We're told that in uh, chapter 31, verse 1. And we also know that those sons were shepherds from chapter 30, verse 35. But at this point in time, they may have been too small or too, you know, too young to keep the sheep. And so he was using his older, their older sister, Rachel. Or perhaps Laban had many flocks and herds and needed both his sons and Rachel and maybe even Leah. We don't know if Leah kept sheep. We don't know that. She may have, or maybe she was the cook at home, maybe she liked to make um, red lentil bean stew. (laughs) That would be my guess. (laughs) But anyway, um, so we don't know, but we do know that it wasn't an easy, we don't know why she was keeping the sheep exactly, but it was not an easy job. For a young girl to watch and care for sheep in all kinds of weather conditions, think of that, you know, whatever the weather was outside, she still had to do her job. She had to um, watch the sheep against all kinds of predators, wild animals and thieves, and she had to go after strays. She had to take care of their injuries. She had to lead them to green pastures, and she had to provide them with water, as she was doing in this scene. So, being a shepherdess tells us that Rachel was not a lazy girl. She was industrious. She was a hard worker. She might not have had any choice in that because of her father Laban. But at any rate, she was a hard worker. Now, in verse 10, we are told that when Jacob saw Rachel, and when he also saw the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, he immediately went over to the well. And he single-handedly rolled the stone off of the well's mouth and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, some have stated that uh, Jacob got this sudden rush of adrenaline from the excitement of finally coming to his destination and meeting his very first Mesopotamian relative. Others have said that this sudden spurt of energy and emotion, came from finally coming into contact with Laban, his mother's brother, which is, you know, stressed three times. He came into contact with Laban through not only his daughter, but also through his sheep. And his future welfare there in Haran was going to rest with Laban. And so he wanted to make a very good first impression. And so that's why he rushed and did all that he did, you know, rolled the stone away and and watered her sheep, which were really Laban's sheep. Now, others strongly believe that Jacob's sudden burst of energy here was due to his instant attraction to beautiful Rachel. And they say this was a case of love at first sight and that his action of removing the stone and watering her flock was an inspiration of love. Uh, But whatever his reasoning may have been, we do learn that Jacob was not by any means a wimp of a man. You know, maybe when we had studied him in light of Esau, we thought that he was sort of a little, you know, wimpy, hanging on mama's apron strings, home doing the cooking kind of a guy. But we find out that that's not altogether true. This guy, remember, is 77 years old. I know that just blows us out of the water, but we have to remember that 77-year-old at that time was more like a 35-year-old in our day. I mean, they did not age like we did do. And so he was more like a 35-year-old man, and he was in fine physical condition. This was a little hunk of a guy. <laughs> As my girls would say, he was buff, okay? I don't think they'd be attracted to a 77-year-old, though. But anyway, he he was um, he. Just think about he not only just finished traveling some 500 miles in very rugged terrain, but you know now he's finally come to the end of his journey. You would think that he'd just be whipped, but he goes over there and like Superman, he single-handedly lifts off that heavy stone, which normally took at least two or three guys to remove. Then it's interesting to see that the next thing—can you imagine Rachel just sitting there with her mouth dropping, dropped open? But the next thing that Jacob did, with still no word of explanation to Rachel as to who he was, I mean, she still doesn't know who this guy is, um, and, he, and no explanation as to why he is taking care of her sheep and why she doesn't have to wait in line for her turn at the well. What does he do next? He approaches her. Can't you imagine? I mean, he probably stunk a little bit. (laughs) Hadn't shaved in a long time. But he approaches... It's nothing probably like this picture here. This romanticizes it. This westernizes it. Let me tell you, this westernizes it. Um, I want to show you what the, the situation was probably more like. We have to... We have to stop thinking so Western and start thinking ancient Middle East. This girl was probably very young, okay? I'm saying very young. But anyway, um, he goes over to her, and he kisses her and if that wasn't enough of a shock then what's he do and this again we have to stop thinking in our culture in our western civilization this is very common in the middle east among this kind of you know middle eastern people for men to show their emotions openly he lifts up his voice and he starts crying publicly we would be shocked but that was something rather common and we saw it with esau didn't we he lifted up his voice and he was crying like a baby But here again, then, is a lesson we find on being faithful in the daily mundane things so that we are in the right place and at the right time to be blessed in the mighty things. Rachel, that morning when Rachel got up, she had no idea that, uh, you know, this was going to be anything other than a very ordinary mundane day, another day of taking care of her father's sheep. Nothing of much excitement probably ever occurred out there in the fields of Haran. It was rather a dull and monotonous and difficult existence, yet she was faithful. She did her job day in and day out, and then suddenly, one day, there was this strange but nice man staring at her as she approached the well at her usual time. He spoke not a word to her, but he went straight to the well. He removed the heavy stone all by himself. And then he took care of watering her sheep, you know, first. Not one, you notice not one of the other shepherds dared to complain about Jacob taking over matters. You know, he totally ignored their conventional way of doing things. You see what kind of guy he was? He didn't care how they always did it. He was going to do it his way, and he didn't care what they thought. But they didn't, you know, they didn't say, hey, wait a minute, I was in line first, <laughs> as you hear so often, you know, at Walmart or in the grocery store. I got here first. They didn't say that. They just uh, let him do his thing. No one complained. And, again, I think that indicates that they were young, that they were young shepherd lads. And he came across as just being too confident and obviously too strong for them to argue with. Now, it's interesting, I hope, oh man, I'm running out of time. But uh, if you could just flip over for a second to Exodus chapter 2, Genesis, Exodus, this is the very next book, Exodus chapter 2, we have a, um, another interesting well experience. A lot of things in those days took place at wells because that was sort of the meeting place. Look at this. This was an event which happened with Moses at a well in Midian. This is after he left Egypt, had to leave Egypt because he had murdered an Egyptian. And it says, starting in verse 15, look at verse 15 of Exodus 2. Um, now, when Pharaoh heard this thing about Moses murdering uh, a man, an Egyptian, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by what? A well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. And the shepherds came and drove them away notice the shepherds drove away the female shepherdesses but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock and when they came to Reuel, or better known as Jethro their father he said how is it that she comes so soon today that's what he said to his daughters you know what this tells me this tells me that when you know, I thought, well, why was Rachel the last one to get there? Well, she probably knew she'd be the last to water her flock anyway. They, you know, these guys took advantage of female shepherdesses. They went ahead and would and water their sheep and always probably let her go last. So why shouldn't she arrive there last? Plus, she was industrious, and she was going to use as much of the day for grazing time. Um, anyhow, but I just thought that was an interesting comparison of something that had happened with Moses. He took over just kind of like Jacob did and watered... Um, and he wound up with the girl, too, didn't he? <laughs> he married Jethro's daughter, just like uh, Jacob marries Rachel. Anyway, that's another comparison of a well story. Very much to Rachel's amazement must have been the fact, of course, that the stranger kissed her. Now, he didn't kiss her uh, on the lips, obviously, uh, but he kissed her on the cheek in, in the way that, that relatives would kiss one another. And they still do. You know, you, you see them kiss on the cheeks, you know, they kiss this side and they kiss that. Even men greet each other that way. And if that wasn't enough of a shock that the fact, you know, that he came and kissed her like a relative would kiss her, then he began, you know, to weep and cry in a loud voice. This strong man was obviously filled with some great emotion, and, and she didn't know why. We might wonder, you know, had, he, had, had one look... At his mother's niece, reminded him of his beloved mother. You know how close he was to his mother. You know, if his uh, mother had had a daughter, she didn't have a daughter, but if she had a daughter, the daughter would probably have looked very much like Rachel. Both of them were described as being beautiful, but not yet. There's no mention of her beauty yet. Anyway, of Rachel's beauty. Had this well episode reminded Jacob... Of the story that he had probably heard many times from his mother's lips, you know, regarding her own well experience. As we can imagine, Rachel had probably never seen anything quite like this, you know, before in all of her life. Who in the world was this man? And what was this great display of strength and love and emotion all about? Anyway, you know, what in the world is going on here? Well, when he finally was able to gain control of his emotions, he explained to Rachel who he was. He was her father's nephew. He was, in other words, her cousin. He was the son of Rebecca who had left Haran almost 100 years earlier, under very unusual circumstances, in order to marry Isaac, who was his father. So, hearing that now, whose turn is it to get excited? Now it's Rachel's turn to get excited, but she doesn't. You know, she doesn't do the improper thing and grab him and kiss him. That would not do. <laughs> she she very properly simply turned around and ran home to tell her father and I thought about another well experience the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who had uh, you know just met the Lord Jesus Christ she was so excited when she found out who Jesus was that she um, ran to tell the people of Sychar that she had met the Christ and what did she leave behind she forgot her water pot um hello hello <laughs> Well, Rachel, it says Rachel turned and and ran to tell her father. What did she leave behind? right she left her sheep behind but i don't think that that was necessarily negligence i just got to thinking about it's kind of funny i mean she knew that jacob was there to watch over her sheep she also knew knew that those stupefied shepherd boys were there and that somebody would surely watch her sheep until she returned now by now remember these shepherd boys are standing around they were probably too too intrigued in this whole incident to leave the well Um, They would probably one by as she was gone. One by one, they would water their flocks. But you know that they didn't leave. I'm sure they waited until Laban would appear because uh, you have to remember they had no television and no not even radios in those days. And this was a. Exciting story. This was a beautiful story taking place right before their eyes. So, And I don't think they would miss it for the world. I mean, they would really have something to tell their friends and their family when they came home that night. So they would be very curious to discover how Laban would react when he heard the news that his sister's son was there. So let's find out how Laban would react and look at Jacob meets Laban, verses 12 to 14. And Jacob... Told Rachel that he was oops, I've already read that, haven't I? Anyway, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. See there again, you know, the kissing. And brought him to his house. And he told Laban, that's Jacob, told Laban, all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he, Jacob, abode with him, Laban, the space of a month. Laban, now remember, Laban, the brother of Rebekah, had to say goodbye to his sister 97 years earlier. And he had to say goodbye to her on very short notice. I mean, there had hardly even been time for tears. And he had not seen her since then. And now he gets word that one of her sons is waiting for him at the well. So he appears here to have been genuinely excited about this unexpected visit and genuinely thrilled to see his nephew for the very first time you know even though laban had to be quite old he had to be up there in years yet what does he do he runs out to the well to meet his nephew and he embraced him and he kissed him and the hebrew here indicates that laban kissed jacob with intensity and also repeatedly he kept on kissing him Not on the lips, you know, but on the cheek. And this kissing was not at all improper. However, if Jacob had kissed Rachel this way, you know, with intensity and repeatedly, then it would have been improper. But it was just a way really for Laban to demonstrate to his nephew his great excitement in welcoming him and accepting him into his home and uh, I mean you know Jacob must have truly been all smiles to discover just how welcomed he was we finally got to his mother's brother's home I have a story and I hope I won't this will probably make me go over t- time but I would like to just share this this is a story of something that I experienced which was rather similar to this and as I was studying it I kept thinking about that experience I had when I was about 22 years of age I went over to Greece you know my um, um, grandparents came from Greece, and uh, I wanted to uh, look up my roots. And I am from—my grandparents were from Corinth, or um, actually my grandmother, for whom I am named. Her name was Ekaterini, which is Catherine. I never knew my grandmother. She died a year before I was born, but my parents named me for her. She came from a little Choriol, which means a tiny little village outside of Corinth. I didn't know how far outside, but I found out because I had to take a train. I wanted to see you know, where she had grown up and lived. She was a shepherdess. She had uh, a big family. Some of her brothers were actually killed. They were murdered by um, thieves coming to steal the sheep. And, uh, but she was a shepherdess outside of Corinth in this. I had to get off the train, and I had to um, walk. And the trains, let me tell you, the trains stopped in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there was just a little train station. There was no town there. And then I had to walk. I was alone. I had to walk and walk and walk for a long, and this is in rugged, rugged mountain area. And um, I, had, you know, I had gotten advice from people before, so I knew where I was going. But the only one I passed, and it must have taken me an hour probably to get to where I was going, the only one I passed was a little old man on a donkey. So it was almost like being in Bible times, I felt like, you know. Anyway, when I finally got to this little village where my grandmother had had lived, um, the people knew I was coming because I had, I had had a well, my girlfriend who I went to Greece with was born in Greece, and she spoke fluent Greek, and she had called ahead. There was one phone in the whole little village. She had called ahead, so they were expecting me. They didn't come out to meet me at the train station, but they were waiting for me when I got there. They lived in this one little room, mud, I mean, dirt floor, little adobe kind of a house. These were my grandmother's relatives. Um, and they just welcomed me with open arms. I kind of felt like lay, how Laban would have felt here. But I would here's the story. My grandmother had left Greece when she was 18. And she had come to the United States, and they had not seen her since. And that had been many, many years earlier. My grandmother was dead. I was 22. She had died the year before I was born. So I, I never figured out how many years that was. But they they hadn't seen her since she left. Okay. So now these many years later, here comes her granddaughter, almost the same age. You know, 22 and they and had the, with the same name and they could not stop crying because to them I'm going to start crying but to them it was like seeing her again and i remember sitting there at a meal there's three little kids were sitting on the bed in the room where you ate you know it's a little bed these three little cute kids with big brown eyes just staring at me because they didn't get to eat until we were finished eating they ate our leftovers they were sitting there watching us with wide eyes because here was this girl this woman whatever they wanted to call me from america i mean you know that was really something i could speak enough greek to get by but this little old lady you know how the, the when they're widows they wear black for the rest of their lives (laughs) this little old black lady um, not black lady but dressed in black about this tall you know shriveled up with no teeth in her mouth she was sitting next to me and I'm right-handed she was sitting on this side while I was trying to eat and she would not leave my arm alone she just kept petting my arm and crying and crying and crying she had been my grandmother's best friend and she hadn't seen her ever again and um, it was a very emotional, very emotional experience, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Anyway, I just thought I would share that with you because I can really picture. You know, Laban is sort of a creep, but here I think he is gen- generally, genuinely, genuinely excited about seeing his sister's son. Uh-huh. Now, although there is no mention made in the written record nonetheless we know that it must have surprised Laban that Jacob was alone and that he brought so little with him you know other than some basic necessities Laban surely would have expected to see Jacob accompanied by a large entourage of men servants and heavily laden you know with camels as had been the case when Eliezer had come to Haran those many years earlier surely Laban must have been somewhat disappointed and even a little bit suspicious of Jacob's situation, even though he, you know, really was happy to see him. He really was. Yet as he got to thinking about it, he must have been a little suspicious. Why did he come with just himself, not even one man servant? And he had so little with him. Nonetheless, as I said, he was thrilled to see him. And what did he do? He welcomed him to his home, and he probably fed him a nice meal. And they must have sat around the table, you know, talking for hours into the night. Now, we don't know what their conversation really was. Just We, we had known the conversation that Eliezer had had with uh, Laban. And with Laban's father, Bethuel. We know that conversation because it was recorded for us in chapter 24, verses 33 to 51. Eliezer had told the whole story about what had happened out at the well. And he told about the great wealth of his master. And he also told them why he was there. He was there, um, you know, to request... Rebecca's hand in marriage because she had been the answer to his prayer but all we know about in this situation now is that the scripture tells us that Jacob told Laban what? All these things that's all we know about the conversation that Jacob told Laban all these things now we can speculate what all these things would include I mean first and foremost I'm sure that they would uh, have Jacob would have given a report on his mother And he would have told Laban about what a wonderful mother she had been to him and how beautiful she still was, maybe. Or he would have told um, Laban how his father was doing you know that his father was really up there in years and that he was failing and he was blind and there would have been a lot to tell about his home life growing up and about all of his father's sheep and cattle and and their home life and their prosperity and all kinds of other family news however the big question is does the phrase all these things include Jacob's explanation to Laban for why he had left home Does it mean that Jacob shared with Laban his sin in having deceived his father at his mother's command? Does it mean that Jacob told Laban that Esau was so upset, his twin brother Esau was so upset with him that he wanted to kill him? And that is why he was sent to Haran, although it was also for him to find a wife. Did he tell him that, that he was there, you know, uh, because he was looking for a wife? So what does all these things actually mean? Well, although we can't know for sure, yet by the the fact that the scripture says all these things, we really need to think that he did tell Laban everything. I mean, there would be no other way to explain the word all, and there would be no other way really to satisfy Laban's curiosity over why Jacob was there Number one, and why he was there with so little when his father was so rich. You know, if he came for a wife, then why didn't he have a bride price? I think Jacob told him the whole story. I think he had to in order for Laban to to be satisfied. Now, we don't know that when Jacob was, uh, we do know that when Jacob was finished speaking, Laban was convinced of one thing. He was convinced of one thing. Jacob was truly his sister's son. He said, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. Now, there are two ways that Jacob would have known, I mean, Laban would have known that Jacob was not an imposter. First of all, the information that Jacob had just shared with him would have been too knowledgeable and too intimate for anyone other than a very close relative of his sister's to have known. Secondly, As Laban was sitting there looking at Jacob and as he was listening to him speak, who do you think he was probably reminded of? Very much so. Just as that little old Greek lady was crying over me because she said how much I look like my grandmother. I'm sure that he knew without a shadow of a doubt Jacob had his mother's eyes, Jacob had his mother's mannerisms, whatever it was, he knew that uh, this was his bone and his flesh that Jacob was his nephew, and he welcomed him into his home as a visiting relative for how long? For one month. Now, we know that Jacob would stay 20 years longer than that one month, (laughs) but that first month was a period of time that he stayed with Laban and his family as a guest before he was then hired to work for Laban as a servant. So this then, in conclusion, this is one of the happiest little passages in Jacob's life, which is found in um, the scripture. For Jacob, you know, this, this is it. This is about as happy as it gets. And everything at first look seems to have gone very smoothly for him. You know, you say, where is the, the reaping of what he's sown? Well, we don't see it yet. The Lord surely here so far had fulfilled his promise to be with Jacob and to protect him and to, you know, bring him to where he was going. Jacob had arrived safely at a well in Padanaram, Aram, and he even discovered that some shepherds there, the first ones he met, that they knew his uncle. In fact, he had hardly begun to talk with them when his own cousin, Rachel, appeared with the flock. And then Laban, had entered the scene and warmly welcomed him, although he must have been disappointed to see no obvious display of wealth. Jacob had brought nothing with him but his own physical abilities, and they would prove, however, to be very great because God was with him. So this episode seems to end very happily, but it's not over, is it? It's not complete. Jacob was soon to discover that there were going to be many large and heavy obstacles to be rolled away before he would be able to complete his father's command and find a wife and return back home.